Hi, it's Mike Crawford. Welcome to the Young Jerks Podcast. Tonight we're speaking to author Peter Manso, author of several books. The one we'll be speaking to him about is called Reasonable Doubt. It's about the murder of Krista Worthington uh, in Truro, Cape Cod, Massachusetts, uh, where someone was convicted for the murder, but many of us feel uh, that person may be innocent. And definitely that there wasn't enough evidence collected and that there was a, a lot of problems with the trial and the convictions. I'm going to pe- speak to Peter about that tonight, but we start off talking to Peter about a new Massachusetts State Police Colonel, Chris Mason, who is a big part of the book as a state police officer working with uh, District Attorney Michael O'Keefe, who we also uh, talk to Peter about both of those individuals, that and a lot more tonight, Young Jerks. Um, I've always been interested in that, you know, the book that you've written, uh, Reasonable Doubt, mm-hmm. um, and watched, you know, you on a bunch of YouTube videos. I just actually ordered the book tonight. I should have ordered it a long time ago. Good. Sell, sell books on me. I like that. Yeah. So I'm recommending people do it, um, you know, check out the book. Uh, Reasonable Doubt, the fashion writer, Cape Cod in the trial of Chris McGowan. Do you have mm-hmm. two different uh, hardcover and paperback? Yes, in paperback. I think it's also in, um, what do you call it, electronic form, three, That's three right. formats. Yes. You can check Amazon.com. That's right, Amazon.com. That's that's where I actually purchased it. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, the reason... You know, I definitely want to mention that case and talk a little bit about it because uh, I just I like the way that you went at it because I could totally see the truth because I see this stuff all the time, the small town corruption and the politics and all that. But what I wanted to just start with was Colonel Chris Mason. Yes, uh, was you know a big figure in this in this investigation in your book. Um, and now he is the colonel of the Massachusetts State Police who have had their own scandals for years now. Right. And now he's come in to clean up uh, shop, apparently. So they're kind of pushing. I'm just, you know, you have m- way more experience, I think, with Chris Mason and watching mm-hmm. him and writing this book. So I'm just wondering what your opinion well, is. Well, two, two things. I mean, I would make the point, uh, beginning I would make the point by saying that I think and I can't say this with authority, but I think that Chris Mason, whom we all during the trial dubbed the Golden Boy, actually that was my my phrase for him originally, the Golden Boy, because he was just so effective on uh, testifying on the stand. But um, the point I would make is that uh, from my knowledge of Chris Mason, uh, I think he probably is a whole lot more honest than some of his fellow stadies who have you know created not one but several several scandals over the past couple of years. Um, Now, uh, having said that, uh, I would also raise the question as to whether or not Chris Mason is ultimately, as an investigator, as a a law enforcement officer, uh, is more interested in closing a case than he is in the truth, in finding, you know, the true culprit. Uh, Obviously, I disagree with his findings on the Chris McCallan case, and knowing something about his methods and the methods of uh, his partner, investigator on the case, uh, you know, I I know the kinds of stunts that they that they pull, and not only on other people but on me too. Um, you know, at at not one point but several points, 
uh, Mason was investigating me as the possible killer of Krista Worthington, which, you know, you can chalk up to his thoroughness. But uh, were I to give you some of the details, um, I'm sure there would be a number of your listeners who would conclude that his thoroughness uh, bordered on uh, the illegal. Uh, I mean, this is a guy who, you know, he's a real hunter. He wants to catch his man. And, you know, the problem with law enforcement in general, so far as I'm concerned, is, you know, where do they draw the line? Where does a cop draw the line between, between doing what is proper and correct and what in his eyes is correct insofar as it may lead to a conviction or a solving of the crime? Yeah, it seemed like that came up a lot in this case because there was evidence that wasn't looked at. There was things that were hidden from the, you know, from the defense. A lot, a lot of issues in this court case, mm-hmm. you know, in the book that you wrote. Well, I tried to document that in in Reasonable Doubt, the book, um, and we mustn't forget that in the Chris McCowan case, which is, you know, my only experience with the man, um, well, with one exception. Uh, you know, of course, just a bracket here that um, in Cape and Island, sister's attorney, uh, Mike O'Keefe, for whom um, or under whom uh, Mason came up. I mean, uh, Mason worked for O'Keefe for a good number of years. Uh, amongst them, you know, the investigation of the Christopher Worthington killing. Um, but um, what was I going to say? You know, the, the man is, is, is relentless. Uh, is he going to be able to clean up the Massachusetts State Police? That's a big task because from my knowledge, my impression, you know, it's a pretty dirty outfit and has been for a while now. But time will tell. I don't I don't want to close my mind to the possibility because I know that Chris Mason is indeed, you know, thorough to the point of excess. Yeah, I'm, I'm you know, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is, is your book as well. Because I feel like do you still do you still have the same conclusion that you did when you wrote the book? Yes, I do. In fact, uh, maybe more so because um, I have since gone back to several of them. I mean, let, let's do it this way. Um, before I finished that book, um, I had come up with three uh, locals in the outer cape who... Um, put it simply, um, told my tape recorder that um, they had been told by Jeremy Fraser, who of course was Mason's number one witness and was one of three people initially put before the grand jury, which resulted in the indictment of Chris McCallum, or I should say the misindictment. Um, but, you know, uh, you know, there's so much going on here that it's difficult to talk about it. So why 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 did you ask me some specific questions? Well, yeah, like number one, you mentioned Jeremy Frazier. Right. Um, I had talked to a gentleman named Kevin Mulvey, who was yeah. uh, Kevin Mulvey. Do you know him? Yes, I do. I'm. I'm. Yes, I do. And he he said that Sean Mulvey kind of admitted to doing it. That he did done the worst thing ever. Um, he also said that. You know, Sean had this tattoo that showed basically the murder scene. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know anything about that. Yeah, you haven't heard that? Okay. What I, I, mean, was, gonna say, what I was going to say earlier, which may tie in now, is that 
um, you know, when, when I was investigating this case, and I spent like five years writing that book, um, you know, I, I wound up with three guys telling me that they basically uh, got information at parties, drunk, high, whatever, out of Jeremy Frazier, uh, that he did it. Um, and to this day, as, as I'm sure you may be aware, as far as you may be aware, uh, you know, many, many people on the Outer Cape uh, view uh, Jeremy Fraser as the murderer Definitely. in this case. I, I look back because Jeremy had gotten arrested. Uh, I'm sure you're aware of that a couple of years ago, and the charges were dismissed. You mean you mean the charges uh, child, that, yeah. that he was molesting, sexually molesting a child? Yes. Yes, I was there. I, I went and and I and I I was just looking at that, you know, the other like last night and. Um, I noticed all the comments, the local comments, were mm-hmm. saying exactly what you said. Everyone. Well, let me let me let me throw the fire here. The fuel that, um, you know, here Jeremy Fraser was looking at probably 20 years for sexually molesting his five-year-old child, um, and the case was eventually dismissed by guess who? The judge who sat on the uh, Crystal Woodington murder case. <laughs> you see, there is. It's my theory, and it's unprovable that um, the cops, putting it loosely, namely the Michael O'Keefe office, has um, since, what, I guess two years after the killing, killing was in uh, January of, of 2000, um, two, no, no, 2002, I'm sorry, uh, they, they've been protecting Jeremy Frazier. Because if Jeremy Frazier can be shown to have lied before the grand jury, they have to go back to square one and let Chris... Uh, uh, out of jail to a new trial, so forth and so on. So they have been um, sitting on um, Frazier, and they've been protecting him. And, you know, it, it absolutely was mind-boggling when, as you say, two years ago, three years ago, whenever it was, uh, that he was initially indicted and charged with sexually molesting this infant. And it was not only sicko stuff, but, you know, to then have him, you know, to, to then suddenly see that the charges were being dropped, very peculiar, very strange, raised all kinds of questions for many, many people on the outer cape, I'm sure. Yeah, they were definitely commenting on that. <laughs> they they uh, definitely a lot of people have the opinion that he had something to do with that. I mean, one of the things that came up was about the shirt that Jeremy was wearing, the blue and the white. Yeah, right, so, that was never tested, that, the Nautilus sweater. Like blue and white fibers on the body. Yes. He's wearing a blue and white fiber shirt right. that night, and they never tested or looked into it, or looked into a lot of the DNA. Let me let me also insert the fact, and it's a fact, that uh, Chris Mason, uh, along with uh, his partner, uh, conducted the all-important six-hour um, what interview of Chris McCallan the night he was arrested. And that, of course, played a major role at the trial. However, they did not, they did not videotape or audiotape that interview. Uh, instead, um, to verify, you know, their, their report of that interview, they submitted, you know, many, many pages of notes that um, Chris McCowan, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, Mason allegedly took during that interview. Why wasn't the interview taped? This was a, a, a bleeding case, a headline case. You know, most police departments, you know, um, I, can, I can take you to, for example, into the Chatham uh, Police Department, 
uh, you'll see a sign, you know, anything said to police officers right. is being taped. Definitely. In my local town police, it says the same thing. There's a sign on the lobby. Okay, this, the McAllen case, was quite simply the biggest criminal case uh, on Cape Cod in, in what? Almost 50 years right. since, since Tony Costa. Why didn't uh, Mason, who is now the head of the Massachusetts State Police and in charge of that interview, uh, tape that interview? That's never been answered. And also, as a professional who has been conducting interviews of sources for like 40 years, uh, I can tell you that six hours of interviewing yeah. does, does not result in, um, you know, I think it was 18 pages of handwritten notes. It results, I mean, if it's a careful transcript or rendition of the interview, in hundreds of pages. Right. I mean, yeah, trans- out of control. I mean, yeah. I, I, I see the transcripts from our, our shows, and it just there goes on and on and on and on and on. I mean, I mean how, many, how many pages do you get from a 90-minute tape cassette? A lot. A lot. I would say probably more than 27 or whatever he said. Oh, no, 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 no. I mean, I know this from experience. I believe a 90-minute cassette on average will produce something like 250 pages of transcript. Right. It's crazy. It's a lot. You know, so they're asking, you know, they're asking the public throughout this whole thing uh, to buy a lot of what I consider to be shit. Now, the question is, the bigger question, which is of more interest to me than Chris Mason or any of his, his antics, um, is why? Why did the jurors buy this stuff, which was so riddled with questions? Yeah. Called race. Racism, yeah. You know, the Cape, it, it came as a great shock to me. I had written another book on the Cape, you may know, P-Town, Art, Sex, and Money yeah. on the Outer Cape. It was a Boston Globe bestseller, number one bestseller on the Globe. Um, but that was about P-Town. That was about Truro, the Outer Cape, which, you know, is my home. Um, but, and I knew nothing, really. About, I mean, Hyannis, for me, was to go to the Sears Roebuck, which no longer exists, unfortunately. Um but I had no idea that racism uh, was and is as prevalent on the Cape as, in fact, it is. You know, I mean, there are a number of facts here which need to be recognized. Uh, black people make up, nationally, make up approximately 14% of the population. Uh, in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, the figure becomes 6 to 7% of the population. You know what the black population of Cape Cod is? I would say one, one yeah. huh? What? I would say one, one percent. It's 1.2%. There you go. You know, I mean, there's a tremendous underrepresentation of black folks on the Cape. And with that, I'm sad to say, but not surprised to say, you know, virulent racism. And, you know, uh, that was taken advantage of at the trial, no question. As you may recall, we, that is to say, Bob George, the defense lawyer, and I filed a, a motion, a, a post-verdict motion, alleging racism in the jury room. Um, and I wound up interviewing three of the jurors of the, what, 14 jurors and alternates. And, you know, it's, it's true. They, they would make jokes about Chris McCown, comments about Chris McCown, in that jury room and deciding on a, in coming up with a verdict that he's a black man. Statements to the effect only a black man would beat up uh, someone as Crystal Worthington was beat up based on the photographs that were displayed on an easel in the jury room. 
And again, the judge who sprung Jeremy Frazier on the child molestation charges uh, was the judge who ruled there was no uh, racial segregation or uh, racism, I'm sorry, um, at work in that trial. <laughs> anyway, anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm talking too much. Why don't, why don't no, I... no. You know, the other uh, question is you brought up uh, the attorney, George, who, mm-hmm. you know, he, he definitely, I thought, a good defense. I mean, he really mm-hmm. tried. Unfortunately, he was up against what you're, you're speaking of racism. Well, he was uh, also he was also vastly under under Underfunded, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, you're against the state. They have unlimited resources. I mean, they, they, they don't test everything <laughs> completely. They have all this money, but they don't test the, the, what they need to test, which is you know, I mean, Bob, Bob George uh, needed you know, as any lawyer in that in a, in a major trial needs he needs researchers, he needs detectives, he needs assistants. Um, I would say that with the exception of me, he didn't have that. Now, he he got charged after they went after him for money laundering. Where well, is he that's that's area I'd rather not you know get into. Is he in jail though? Is he? I don't no, no, know. no, no, he, no, no. He he's been out of jail, uh, and of course, uh, you'd be right in assuming that uh, that conviction cost him his his ticket, his whole license. Life, right. But he's now uh, halfway rehabilitated himself in the eyes of the Bar Association and been, um, what, what is it, he's been awarded, awarded, he's been given a premise to be a legal consultant, which I gather is, you know, halfway back to being reinstated as a full-time, full-practicing lawyer. And he's living on the Cape. He's living in Dennis. Okay. Yeah, I would. Uh, I would just love to speak to him about this too. I'm. I'm just well, really interested. Uh, call, whole call him up. Yeah. Call him up. Now that I know he's uh, on Dennis, I'll, I'll look him up. I mean, if you have a problem finding him, call me back, and I'll see if I can set it up. Perfect. All right. Next. Now, is there is anything else you want to uh, kind of share? Just on, you know, I mean, it's been a while on the book, but anything new that you think people should be aware of? Uh, about the case, yeah, I, I I think it's probably a closed issue. I don't think that any appeal. You know, we took the case all the way to the uh, SJC, the Supreme, you know, basically the Supreme Court in Massachusetts, and they turned it down, even though they noted that you know there were certain questions outstanding concerning racism in this trial. Um, no, I, I I was dismally. Um, I mean, look, I, I, in in my life, I'm not a stranger to racism. I went down south during the civil rights movement, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I was deeply surprised, shocked even a little bit, at the kind of uh, stuff that goes on on the case. I had, I just had no idea. Um, and I think if most people ask them, most Cape Codders ask themselves, hey, you know, is there racism? They're going to say, oh, yeah, yeah, now that I think about it, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, what do you do about that? I don't know. First thing you do about it is you get rid of, uh, what's his name, Donald Trump. That's, right. the, first, that's the first thing you do. But, Maybe um, Michael O'Keefe, too. Uh, oh, yeah, no, no, My, Michael, Michael O'Keefe needs to be thrown out of office. This is a very bad man. And it's interesting how in this morning or yesterday's account in the Cape Cod Times, that is the account of uh, or the announcement of Mason's promotion, Michael Keith said he's so delighted, he's happy, he knew this was going to happen. I mean, he really is coasting in on the press value of uh, Mason's promotion. By the way, do we know what the, sal- the exact salary is 
for the head of the Massachusetts State Police. Oh, I'm, I'm not sure, but I'm I'm sure it's up there. I, I have a feeling it's probably I don't know. It's got to be thousand. Oh yeah, it's got to be. Uh, I would say it's a million. I don't know. A million, I would say it's three three, three to four million. Yeah. Yes. I have no idea. It's a lot of money. <laughs> and, and especially if you include the pension in the early retirement. Oh my God! Not that, that's that's where it really kicks in. That's just oh. a number they don't tell you. Excuse me. I called him Golden Boy, not for nothing. Right. Him that is. He ended up good. But I have to tell you, if you can find, you know, uh, clips, video clips of Mason testifying on the stand during the McAllen trial, he's just extraordinary. You know, I mean, he operates like a metronome. He talks evenly in full cadence sentences. And I mean, it's amazing. I've never seen anyone testify with that kind of skill, that level of skill. You know, I've covered the Hearst trial, I've covered the OJ trial, blah, 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 blah. Uh, phenomenal. I mean, the guy, the guy is, is quite special, no question about it. But I would like have had, a politician. Huh? Yeah, no, no, no. Politician. I mean, well, he could he well run for governor. Is he interested in doing that? I have no idea. Maybe, maybe that's his next stop. <laughs> well, it could be. I mean, I, I had a very interesting exchange with him. Uh, as you may know, we were speaking of Mike O'Keefe. Mike O'Keefe had me indicted and arrested for illegal gun possession. Do you know about that? I heard something about that. I would love to hear more about this. Well, <laughs> uh, anyway, no, I mean, O'Keefe basically wanted to upset, if not stymie, this book I was in the middle of writing. So uh, he had some of his, um, well, local Turo cops, one of whom was the son of the head detective for the sheriff's office. And, you know, Jim Cummings, the sheriff, has been Mike O'Keefe's campaign manager and asshole buddy for years and years and years. Ex Stady, by the way. Um, anyway, they, they they broke into my house in Furo. I was uh, in California at the time, and um, you know they 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 justified going into the house on the grounds that there was an open door, uh, which is complete nonsense, and that uh, the alarm system had gone off. Yeah, the alarm system had gone off because of a mouse, uh, but there was no open door. And besides, that does not give them right to go into the house. Legally, you can the cops can come into your house only if there is uh, reasonable grounds to believe that someone is about to be hurt. I mean, I, 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 as you can tell when you read my book, you'll see that I did a lot of legal legal stuff here. Anyway, um, where am I? Uh, yes. So O'Keefe had me indicted, which was a very, uh, I must say, scary episode. I mean, I was looking literally at a life sentence in jail. Uh, initially, I was charged with um, five misdemeanors, which then became 12 felonies, such that I was indicted before the same grand jury that indicted Chris McCallan, and then was tried in the same courtroom with Chris McCallan received three life sentences. Anyway, um, in the midst of all this, and I had to make trips back and forth from California from here there to show up for, you know, Pre-court, pre-trial hearings, conferences, all kinds of nonsense, all of which was very expensive and very taxing and very sleep-depriving, I promise you. Anyway, I remember one afternoon um, after one of these conferences, uh, coming out of the um, courthouse in Barnstable, and I was coming, you know, there were steps you go up, there were steps there, and I was coming down the steps with my two lawyers, and coming in alone was uh, Mr. Mason. Um, 
And there he was. You know, he, he loves clothing. He dresses quite well by some rubes standards. It wouldn't fly in London, but on Cape Cod, he, he's among the better dressed people, I'm sure. Um, and he, he's coming in, I'm going out, and we were face to face. And he's much taller than I am, but I was on a higher step, so we were on the same level. And I thrust out my hand and I said, You want to shake hands with an indicted felon? And he actually laughed. <laughs> and he did not shy away from taking my hand. This is after him. This is after he tapped my phone, you know, to suspect in the case, <laughs> you know, but et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so anyway, um, I don't know. I mean, I, one question I have is, he going to continue to live on the Cape? I think he lives, has lived in Dennis for many, many years. Um, you know, most of the cops, uh, say these locals, whatever, live in Dennis, South Dennis. That's Cop City, Cape Cod. Next I know question. the area. That's right. I do know that area. Next I question. vacation in Dennis every year as a kid. Um, one last question I have for yeah. you, I guess. Well, you know, I'd love to hear more about Akeem because I know you've, you've covered him quite a bit and some of the other things, other well, scandals. Yeah. There's a whole chapter devoted to Mike O'Keefe in this book. Uh, you know, his outrageous campaign fund, self-indulgences, you know, $1,000 for a lunch in Florida, supposedly, you know, raising, you know, voter alertness, you know, soliciting voters. How can, how can you solicit voters in Florida for a Cape Cod district attorney election? It's bizarre. Um, and also, you know, I'd like to throw out a little fact here for you and your your audience. Anyone who thinks of the Cape as a non-Republican, enlightened, progressive community is out of his or her That's right. I call it the red state in Massachusetts. Wait, 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 wait. Well, here, you're going to love this then. The 1960 presidential election, JFK yes. took every county in the Commonwealth. Except uh, Barnstable. <laughs> except Barnstable County, which, which That's was, right which was declared as his home county. He ran from Hyannisburg. Unreal. Unreal. The Cape, the only county in Massachusetts, 1960, went Nixon. And he wasn't that uh, liberal. Like Jeff K, who would probably be a Republican now. Oh, come on. I mean, back then he was a liberal white. He was. All right, you're right. Come on. Thank you. You know what? Thank you. You're right. You know, a lot of people say that compared to today, but yet, I mean, he wasn't Elizabeth Warren, but who was, yeah. you know? Yeah, you're right. Back then. FDR yeah. wasn't Elizabeth Warren, for right. crying out loud. That's right. Well, so there we are. are. All right. So, uh, one last question. I understand <laughs> that, but uh, I mean, this, the, the book that you put out was, was you know, on uh, the case, seemed pretty popular. It got a lot of media coverage. From which, the, which book? Television. You mean the Province Handbook or the... The, the, the Christa. The Christopher yeah. book, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is there? Did you ever talk? I mean, you're in California. You talked to Hollywood. Has there been any like movie ideas on it or anything like well, that? Well, um, you know, about two years ago, you may have seen this. ABC's 2020 yeah. uh, approached me. They wanted to do a mini series based on the book, and the mini series, which was originally projected, I think, as three two-hour segments or four two-hour mini series. Um, became simply a two-hour, one-shot show called, I think, A Murder or Killing on the Cape, something like yeah. that. It, wasn't, it, did, it, it really wasn't that good. There's uh, a podcast of it now, too, that okay. people listen to. I, I've, I've listened to that. It's, 
Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I think it's it's decent, but yeah, I think it's uh, decent. But it, it, it look to, to you know to understand this case means playing as boring as many people may find this. Uh, it means playing sociologist. You've got to understand the mindset on Cade Collard. Here we have you know a well-off white woman, middle-aged white woman and mother, uh, murdered ostensibly by uh, you know uh, what is it, an 86 IQ black garbage man. You know, this is enough to press anybody's racist buttons. Uh, and it's guaranteed to do so. And the cape responded as the cape responded. Three life sentences. Even though, you know, the verdict was based on a handwritten rendition of a supposed uh, conviction handwritten by himself, the golden boy, Mason, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and, 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 and Mike O'Keefe had to win this case. It's very simple from a career point of view. He had to sew it up, whether he got the right guy or the wrong guy. And he, he got did. his conviction, finally. That's all they care about. It's, that's, well, like not it. all cops. I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not down on all cops. No, I, I don't think that's true. I think in this case, and having spent, as I say, five years, I guess it was, writing this book, uh, I have no doubt that all kinds of shortcuts were taken, which, you know, the reader can find out about by looking at the book. You know, there's a whole chapter in the book devoted to Mike O'Keefe. His mother, for example, his late mother, was, you know, uh, the deathbed nurse, you know, to the Cardinal of Boston. There's a, there's a, fra- a phrase, lace curtain Irish, which is to say lower middle class, not poor Irish. And they tend to be, as a class or as a group, culturally speaking, uh, bigoted, conservative, blah, blah, blah. I mean, these are not your, you know, street Irish whom you find in the bars. These are upwardly mobile Irish. And Mike O'Keefe, you know, came to Cape Cod as a cop and uh, has boasted that he never missed a single murder on the Cape since he arrived. I mean, this is also a, a strange man. I mean, I say this personally. This is not off the record. I think many people have this opinion, you know, that he's an odd guy, that he's somewhat of a narcissist, uh, difficult relationships with women. His wife tossed him out, um, cuts whatever. I mean, I, I can go on and on. Read the book. It's, much of it is in the book. Looking to promote and advertise your brand, product, your cannabis business, or even a political campaign locally in Massachusetts? Consider the Young Jerks. We have a weekly live streaming show and a podcast that reaches thousands of people every single week in Massachusetts. And a lot of them are the top tastemakers and policy makers in cannabis in Massachusetts from CEOs to bud tenders to politicians, to elected leaders. That's our audience. If you're looking to reach that audience, Michael C underscore 100 at hotmail.com.